Hey, I'm David Puck, and this is another episode of Painterview. And today I'm going to be painting and interviewing Laurel Charleston, who is an incredible artist living in New York, trans artist uh, who does makeup, orchestra conducting, and classically trained musician, does uh, their costumes, um, <laughs> just so many things. And I primarily know them as a makeup artist, so we're going to focus a little bit on that, but go into some uh, other territories too. So. Uh, I have the canvas here ready and also if you want to watch this or listen to it as a podcast later Instagram's not always the best to like have for a long time uh, on your screen so you can get it on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube basically all of the platforms just search paint of you and look for the episode with Laurel Charleston and that should be up quite soon after we're done today and ask any questions you want in the comments Laurel's going to keep an eye on it uh, for me because I'm going to be painting <laughs> And here they are. Go live. Drum roll. Hey. Hi. How Hello. Are you? I'm great. I'm like, I'm a little bit manic as always because no matter how much time I give myself to set this all up and get going, I still end up rushing. And I don't know how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> If that's like me with like digital drag shows when I run them, I have to give myself like four, five hours of prep, even if it'll take me two, three hours to get in drag, because I just know I'm going to lose stuff. It's I'm gonna forget to set up something. It's just it's always a mess. Yeah, that's smart of you because when I, I used to perform in Berlin and I would always give myself like two or three hours thinking that was enough to get ready. And every single time I was like rushing and late, not ready, but then I still didn't just give myself more time next time. Like every time I was like, oh, three hours is enough. <laughs> yeah. The eternal struggle of drag. Yeah. I just blame it on being a messy artist. Like people don't really set that high standards for you. They're like, oh, he's fine. He's late. He's an artist. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, let's get into it. I would love for you firstly to kind of introduce yourself anyone that doesn't know you already and um yeah introduce yourself and the work that you do i kind of gave you a little intro thing you do makeup and and drag and orchestra so i want to leave that up to you beautiful um so my name is laurel charleston my pronouns are they them and she her and i'm a brooklyn-based drag artist and orchestra conductor um I was born and raised in the really small town of Bangor, Pennsylvania, um, but I got out of there real quick. Um, <laughs> where I went, I got I went to Penn State University, where I was there for five years. I got a bachelor degree in music performance, focusing in French horn and conducting, and then I got a graduate certificate in orchestra and opera conducting. Um, then I immediately moved to New York City, which was a, almost a year ago, um, where I got the job to be the assistant director of the Queer Urban Orchestra. Um, I had about one concert with them because my job started in January officially, and then it shut down. So, oh no, yeah. So it, we're just hanging out right now. But um, other than that, yeah, I'm a full a full time makeup and drag artist right now, um, working in Brooklyn and sometimes Manhattan. But yeah, that's where I'm at right now. And it shut down for good, for good, or just while Corona is happening. Well, well, no, while Corona's happening, yeah, it's just very interesting because it's like we are trying to follow um, the professional orchestras in New York City, like the Met, the New York Phil, and what they're doing. 
Um, and right now, everything's canceled for them up until January. However, we're working on um, producing social distance, um, small ensemble concerts that are going to be pre-recorded. Each small ensemble um, has their own performance that we put together in a video and we'll be streaming that towards the end of the year. So that's not gonna happen probably until October, November. Um, but yeah, the, the actual season is not gonna happen and probably at least until January or February. So it's, it's a very, we're taking a very long hiatus. That's so tough. I, uh, I actually only found out like this week that you even do orchestra. And I saw your video from, like you said, about a year ago when you moved to New York and you were kind of explaining why, like it was talking about like non-binary prejudice within the classical world and then moving to New York. And I just that one video I learned so much because I was like, I didn't know you did orchestra and I didn't know that you only recently moved to New York. I figured you must have been there quite a while. Um, so <laughs> I very informative video. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been, a, it definitely has been a very long year and I, long, but also it feels like it went by so quickly, but so much has happened. Um, so it's, it's been a very uh, eventful year for me um, in good ways and in, in good ways. So I'm really, I'm really happy to be here. And it's, this has just always been, you know, the biggest dream of mine when I was like in high school and middle school with no friends in a small rural town. Um, hating life, hating, just literally trying to get through every single day. I was always a dream of mine that was so out of reach and accessible um, to live in New York City and be an artist. But like, even I never even thought of being an, a full time artist at that point in my life, because I'm like, that's just never gonna be a reality for me. Um, so it's the fact that I'm even here, you know, living and completely independent, you know, basically my whole adult life. Um, it's just, it's really incredible. And I never take a day here for granted. Um, yeah, that's why I just always try to do stuff constantly with every second I have living in the city. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, also that you're supporting yourself by something like classical music, which isn't known for being that easy to make a living from either. And then you're doing that to support doing makeup. So it's like every industry is very competitive and difficult that you're doing. Yeah, it's the, constantly the name of the game is how am I going to supplement my income, right? So it's like, everyone's like, oh my God, you do so many things. I'm like, I have to do all of these things just to stay afloat. So <laughs> I can't afford to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I know. Literally, I can't. And the people are like, you're always doing stuff. I'm like, yes. <laughs> constantly. <Accurate. laughs> right. The second I can afford to not do stuff, I will not do stuff. But <laughs> yeah. I would, uh, I'd love to talk a bit more about New York later, but firstly, I want to um, talk to you about your makeup because that's how I first um, came to know you. And I think it's probably the thing that you're most like visible on online. Am I right? Like the makeup and drag. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say so. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me a bit about that. Like, um, when did you start? How did you get into it? Yeah, totally. Um, and that's actually really interesting because I, I was, I did like a, Instagram live on my own page yesterday and I had a bunch of like younger people being like oh I wish I could do work like you and I wish I could paint like you and it's just like I per and I was telling them like I personally um the first time I ever put makeup on my body on my face was only like four and a half years ago oh wow so yeah I never I even when I was younger I never was a painter I never was a drawer um, I always wanted to draw. I was so bad at it. So I, that's kind of why I always stuck with music when I was younger. And then 
when I was so fortunate enough um, to get a full ride to go to Penn State University, right? Um, I, my, my parent, my, I was living with one parent at the time, ship broke, absolutely no money, um, which helped me get that scholarship, of course. And so when I, so I went to Penn State, I was at first totally just into music, classical music, the whole nine yards. Um, is it nine yards? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole nine yards, yeah. <laughs> and then um, there was a student drag show my freshman year at Penn State University. It was an annual student drag show run by the LGBTQA Student Roundtable. And there was literally one a year and they would fill up Penn State's largest auditorium because I guess everyone just wanted to see what it was and what is this. And it was fully just people doing drag for one, one night of their entire life and just having fun. And it was crazy. It was, no, there's nothing attached to it. It was not serious at all. People were just having so much fun. And that just really opened my eyes. Really, I had no, that was my first time seeing drag, seeing um, non-cis uh, women in makeup for the first time in my life coming from this really small town. Um, so that kind of shook me. And that whole next year, after that show, my friends were like, oh my God, girl, you need to do the one next year. You're so extra. You would be great, <laughs> you know, you're always over the top. And I, after all the bullying, you know, I had to put up with, I finally was like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And my friends in the theater school helped me out, helped me paint shoes to look good and helped me with my wig. And it was just a really crazy time and it was actually a competition too which was interesting it was like a competition like so there was always a winner every year and the first year i did it my sophomore year there were like 14 other performers and what happened happened and i ended up winning <laughs> so that gave me a huge confidence and i was like damn maybe i could continue to do this a little more um and ever since then i've just been experimenting, practicing. Um, and what was really, really cool, right, was that this Penn State University, for those of you who don't know, is in literally the center of Pennsylvania. It's surrounded by cornfields and xenophobia. <laughs> nothing, literally nothing outside of the town. So yeah. there was no drag scene. However, the few people that did that competition with me um, we all became really, really good friends, and we just kept doing drag. We There was, like, a hookah bar downtown that we somehow convinced to have, like, a monthly drag show. Oh, so yeah. All, yeah, so we'd all go to the hookah bar and just do crazy drag. And it was once a month, so every month we'd be like, oh, my God, who's – what are y'all going to do? What are they going to pull out? Who's going to do this? That's so amazing. It's like – foster a really cool drag community and that only grew and grew over the next couple of years so it really I it was the last thing I expected to do in college it was the last thing I expected to come across um but it was really cool because at the end of my um five years there there were community drag bingos there were community drag events there were um drag shows at bu straight bars there were drag shows at gay bars there were um drag like reading to kids in drag so over just those several years, this huge drag community came out of nowhere, and it was it was really awesome. That's amazing, and that's yeah. so, that's so because I feel so much of the 
the focus in queer culture is on the big cities, but it's really inspiring actually to hear that you had a scene going on in rural areas. That's amazing. Yeah, and literally, let me tell you, the, the people that do drag in these rural towns are so powerful. It's one thing to do drag in a city where, I mean, I'm in I'm Brooklyn, I can walk down the street and like even people just sitting on the sidewalk will, be, will like scream out compliments to me. And oh. like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really nice. I mean, of course you get some people, but people are very supportive here compared to rural Pennsylvania where, oh, my gig's in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I need to drive through this town and try to sneak in the back of this bar so people on the street don't see me in drag and harass me. Mm. So it's like the people that are doing drag in these small towns are so resilient. Um, so when I came to Brooklyn, it was like, I was so ready for it. Um, but yeah, people doing drag in small towns are really powerful. And I just, I, I love that so much. Yeah, it, it makes me think about how before the drag race phenomenon, people doing drag back then, they had so much more thrown against them, even within our own community. Like, you really had to want it. You really had to, like you said, have that resilience. Um, so it's very impressive when people do it because it shows that like strength they have inside. Yeah, and exactly what you just said, like, you need to want it. You have to die yeah. for it because there's no resources for you to create drag in Pennsylvania. There's a Joanne's Fabrics 20 minutes out um, and then there's a Michael's and that's it. So it's like everyone was constantly making drag. I'm a, I'm a tall girl. I'm six four. A lot of people online don't know that. <laughs> but when I meet people in person, they're always like fucked up because um, I'm just so tall. But it's like, so that's why I had to learn how to sew at an early time in my drag career because you just have to, you have to want it and you have to go out and make spaces for yourself. You have yes. to make clothes for yourself. You literally have to create a drag environment um so it's yeah it's those people i just feel like that do drag in small towns are just a different type of art like it's just a different type of artist that has so much power and resilience behind them and a lot of looks um because people are like oh you're not polished you're not blah 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 but at the same time they have a different accessibility to resources than you you know what i mean yeah definitely is it is it interesting? It's like it's it's quite inspiring this actually because I'm from the countryside as well in England and I'm here right now and I didn't even think about looking into like there being a drag scene here because there wasn't even a pride up until like a couple years ago and now there's like a small pride they do here which I was amazed even that's happening but this is like making me think that maybe there already is one and we could make one happen because. That's, yeah, I mean, you're inspiring me right now. That's no, totally. And it was crazy, right? Because we, um, <laughs> Domination Daddy said queer non-gender drag is blossoming in Brooklyn. Yeah, yes, oh. it is. Yeah, it really is. And that's one of the reasons why I moved to Brooklyn. Um, it's, it's really great. Um, and, oh, sorry, sorry, I forgot. What did you say? Oh, I just said that I'm from the countryside too, and you're inspiring me to go out and like see if there's a drag scene here. We'll make one. Um, yeah. 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 That's what like we had to do. We would reach out to these straight, because every bar at Penn State is a straight bar. Um, you think of a typical college town with heteronormativity everywhere, that's Penn State University. So we would write out to these drag, these straight bars and be like, hi, we would like to diversify your audience. We would like to bring this LGBT show. And we would straight up have people just reply like two words, not interested. Oh. 
Yeah, so we would have so many no's and then we'd get one yes and then that bar became the drag bar and it's like- You only need, you only need that one yes, 99 people in a room. <laughs> yes, you literally only need that one yes and then bam, you just created a space. Um, and then, you know, you get on the mic at that space and you congratulate them and you tell them how important it is that they're creating a, a queer space and then they just want you back more, you know, yeah. so. And the straight love it. The straights love it once they see it. They love drag. You just have to get it in front of them and they like are obsessed. <laughs> uh, let, let me tell you, one of the biggest live drag shows I ever did, I don't know if you know this chain or not, it's called Promancy Bros. No. It's a very straight sandwich bar chain in America, Promancy Brothers. And it was at a Promancy Brothers in Penn State University. And it was like a packed Friday night. And I mean, only straight couples in this bar, right? And I literally kid you not, there were a hundred straight girls surrounding the stage, like it was a concert. And then you saw a hundred of the straight men of the that were with them all in the back, as far against the back wall as possible, <laughs> but like all standing on chairs to see what's happening. Girls tip, so. Yeah, see, drag is for everyone. I've, I've like, I've been saying this for ages. I think everyone that does drag has been saying this. It's for, it, it really is for everyone because it's like everything is drag. Life is drag. Yeah, and it, yeah, and straight people are fascinated by it, and it's like that's great. And if they're gonna give me money, you better. <laughs> I, I will post up in your straight bar. Your money. I love. That. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a bit about your makeup, like technique-wise, because um, I'm just blown away, and everyone online is by the the technique of the straight lines that you manage to get. For people that don't do makeup, that is so difficult to do. And you even had Hungry, who in my eyes is like the goddess of makeup, commenting on your post, being like, "That's really hard to do." So I was like, "That's legit." <laughs> I know. I I was yeah. I was, I was like, I gotta pin this comment. Yeah. This is gonna be the only one all of you see. <laughs> Hungry approved, tick. <laughs> it was like, wow, li straight lines on a nose are so hard. I'm like, Ugh. yeah. I mean, well, because like, they are. Yeah. How do you do it? Because also, I'm surprised because you said you didn't start off as a painter, so like you came into it. So how, how, what was that journey like? Did you start off with the wibbly wibblies and like learn how to do it or? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I have a lot of my old photos archived. I mean, I, I might break them out of the archive one day and show y'all. But um, even right away when I started experimenting with drag and makeup, I always wanted to go in a different direction because the people that were working at Penn State and the people that were doing drag immediately around me and the drag that I was seeing um, in the media and on television was all very, still very gender drag, right? It's still mm -hmm. about gender. It's about hopping from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And that's just how it was, you know? Mm. So even right away, I didn't really click with that. And I just was really interested with geometry. And I would get, I would go out to my CVS or my Ulta and I would get um, NYX liquid suede lipsticks and they were bright pigmented colors and i would actually i started out by just putting like tape on my face in like the shape of a triangle and i would mm. paint over the tape and i would peel the tape off and the lines would be straight technically they'd be like a clean line but i realized that because of my bumpy face they weren't 
actually a solid geometric shape. You know what I mean? Mm. So immediately I was fascinated with this idea of perspective and perspective on a three-dimensional bumpy canvas. Um, so it has quite literally taken me these like four or five years to refine um, the technique that works for me. Mm. Um, but there are definitely some tricks and some tips I have for anybody who's interested in doing perspective makeup or, yeah. Yes, I have my hand up. I'm interested. <laughs> oh my God. Also, you are a quick painter. This is looking so good already. Yeah, I'm just, it's the block colors. They just go bam, bam out there. <laughs> I love that. That's insane. Um, yeah, so I, I start off with a ruler. And I, no, I'm totally kidding. I, that's not what you do. <laughs> I was already taking notes. I was like, okay, buy a ruler. <laughs> Break out the protractor and, um, no. What do you, can I ask you, you're allowed to not answer this if you don't want to, but do you ever edit the lines if they come out a little bit wobbly, you just edit it straight? Oh, sometimes, totally. Like, because the reason is, so when I do those paints with geometric straight lines, um, the way I get them so crisp is with grease paint cream colors. For those, okay. of don't, for those of you who are watching this on Instagram Live, this is what it looks like. They come in little circular palettes, and it's literally what it is. It's a grease-based paint. What that means for you as makeup artists is that when you put it on your face, it doesn't dry or set because it's based with the grease. Um, so the only way to set it is if you hit it with the powder. So that's perfect for doing straight line makeup because it means you can constantly move the product around. Straight lines, I always work with a flat brush with a harsh line. Mm -hmm. So once again, if like you're on the chat, let me see if I have one right here. Um, literally, of course. Well, here's just, this is like a flat brush. Literally, it's just what it is, it's flat, but I use ones with a straight line across of it, across the top of it. And this, you just, it's all about just placing the brush and just being so focused on where you're dragging it. Um, and with the cream color, what's really cool is that you can go back and constantly correct on both sides of the line. So if you mess up, you just go back over and uh, correct it with the other color. However, when I do photo shoots, like I had one yesterday, it's really hard because the creams aren't set. So if you blink, if you smile and you have a crease or you have a point of a wrinkle in your face, the line will get messed up pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So it's great for photography. However, if I go out and I do a drag show with a straight line, I have to set it with the powder. And then when you set it with the powder, the lines automatically um, just blend together a little bit. Because right, then you have to go back over and really define the line from the beginning all over again with eyeshadow. Okay. Long process to do it that way. Um, so it's just all about if you're going to do it for a photo or if you're going to go out and you need this makeup to have some type of endurance. But the most important tip I can tell people is um, when you paint for one perspective, as when what I mean by that is you are painting a two dimensional shape on your face. You can't, you have to sit down in one spot and have a fixed mirror in front of you and only paint for that one perspective. If you move, if you look at your face from a lower angle, if you look at your face from an upper angle, then you automatically change that one perspective you were painting for and it doesn't work as well. 
So how do you how do you do that when because Dave, you know you want to take the photo from this angle, but you're painting in the mirror and kind of moving your face. How do you make sure the photo angle matches up with what you're looking at in the mirror? Yeah, so it, you have to plan it out from the beginning. So when I do those two-dimensional shots, it only works for one angle. And that's just yeah. how it works on, especially my face is so bumpy. Like my brows come out at least like an inch and a half, like a Neanderthal. So like, <laughs> Literally, I will do straight line makeup and it looks beautiful right here. But if I turn a little bit to the side, it's like... I've, I've literally thought because I have hooded eyes and I have quite deep set eyes and I'll literally look at some of these makeup artists online and they'll have like a flat, they're, they're so flat and their nose is really flat. And I'm like looking at it like jealous. Like I, it's like a canvas that I'll never be able to have. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, it also helps with... um perspective painting and putting two-dimensional shapes on your face is once you learn the bumps of your face and how to counteract them with um vertical motion your canvas it's you have the same canvas the rest of your life so i know how to paint a straight line on my nose because there's a bump at the top so i know i have to place the brush from an upper angle down and check with my perspective the whole time with my brow bones like if I'm going to do a straight line, I know my bone's going to swing the line out to the right. So I have to counteract that with the same amount of motion to the left. Um, so it's, it's really hard figuring it out at first. But the only way to get better at it is to just keep doing it and keep practicing. Um, but once you do it a couple times, you start to really learn the tricks of your face and being able to manipulate um, the three-dimensional aspects of your unique canvas. Yeah, definitely. I think learning your face is such a huge thing, isn't it? And uh, yeah. getting to know yourself through me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really interesting. And also, it's like to really stress the importance of getting flat brushes. Because if you, yeah. I mean, do not waste makeup, literally do not waste money on expensive makeup brushes, period. Go to your local art store and drop $5 on a large flat brush and it will literally change your life because the brush does all the work for you and you just yeah. and, it's, and sometimes instead of swiping to get a straight line it's just really really good to get paint on the edge of the brush and just vertically place it onto the skin because then you're strategically placing it exactly where you want it to be oh like mm -hmm. right here so this is a, a flat brush is this what i mean like yeah. it literally has a flat line built into it so i just place it place it and place it. it you just have to constantly be checking your work too like the times i mess up is when i have a mirror in my hand and i'm like so into this one line i'm like let me just go a little further let me go a little further and then i take a step back and i realize it was in the completely wrong direction so it's just all about t taking your time doing little by little and checking it with the perspective that you're painting for. Yeah. That's great. Thank you for that. I am going to try it after we hang up. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And like start with just like a square or something. Um, yeah, it's really, really, it's really, really helpful just to start with like yeah. basic shapes. Because um, it's like I see people do all the time do rectangles and you see the same thing because when they do a rectangle around like a flat line around the bottom of their face, the line always curves up like a smiley face. Um, so it's just about doing, start with a straight line, check in the mirror, do add like three millimeters on each side and you'll see it start to curve up. So then you have to literally counteract that and paint 
down. So it, it, yeah. there's like a bit of cognitive dissonance with it because you're like, I'm actually doing the opposite of what I'm trying to do. But when you take a step back and you look at it in the mirror, it's going to look like a straight line. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So I, I wanted to ask you, we were talking the other day about like transformation and uh, Mystique from X-Men can immediately turn into anyone that they want. We were joking about that. So I wanted to ask you, if you could be anyone or anything, what would you be? Ooh, okay. Um, honestly, I would love to just, no, I mean, she doesn't do that, but I'd love to be a tree. Um, like a tree in a park, you know what I mean? Just like, you can you can just chill there. No one knows who you are. You get to spy on everything. You get to listen to everything, a little bit of the gossip. <laughs> and just live your life, you know what I mean? Um, what kind of tree would you be? Definitely like an oak. Okay, that's, that's a, nice, a good one. A sturdy, solid tree. A very grounded <laughs> tree. I love that. Did you ever see the Judy Dench meme from her? She had did a documentary about trees and it's just her being like, I love trees. Yes, wait, I have seen that. Yes. That's yeah. Also, I'm a Virgo, so I love, you know, things that are really grounded. So <laughs> That's great. I've always thought that I wanted, on a bit of a morbid note, when I die, I want to be like cremated and then have a tree planted on top of me. So then I'm the tree. That's yes. been my plan. Yeah, they're like tree pots or something. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah, grow me into a lemon tree and eat me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Could you imagine um, you, like, giving your kids lemonade one day and, like, this is your grandparent? <laughs> <laughs> you don't tell them until after they've taken a sip. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's forever part of you. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly how I would, I want my grandchildren traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> well, they'd never forget you that way. If you want to exactly. make them remember their grandson. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a bit about music and specifically, like, do you think the different creative things you do, like makeup, drag, music, costume, do you think they kind of link together in any way? Or do you see them somewhat separate? Yeah, I'm a firm believer that, um, all different aspects of art and creativity are come from the same source of your body. It's all from, it all comes from a need to express and a need to express what is inside of you and who you are and your identity. So I think, I genuinely believe every aspect and every different um, medium for art and artistic expression all comes from the same inter internal source. So I think whether it's painting, whether it's designing, whether it's music, whether it's drag, it's just a different medium to express um, what's fundamentally inside of you. So mm -hmm. when people try to get classes and say, oh no, this is the only art form. No, this is, you're not taking your art form seriously if you're doing this. It's like, no, you're just being classist and elitist and I'm trying to accomplish the same thing that you are working so hard to accomplish as well. Mm -hmm. So it was actually interesting because I was always mortified when I was starting out in doing drag in college while pursuing a serious classical music career that if this ever, if my professors found out, it would destroy me. People would, I, I would lose credibility as a classical musician. Um, I was always so nervous. So that was also motivation for me. Whereas like, if I'm going to come out as a drag artist, I need to be really refined so people respect my craft. And if mm -hmm. I come out as a drag artist that does music, it's not gonna be respected or appreciated um, unless I really bring something different 
um, to the table that has a level, a certain level of refinement. And of course, that's not true. Any type of drag is valid. However, that was just the pressure that was going on in my head and what I was telling myself constantly. So it was really terrifying for the first couple of years. Then people would find out that I do drag and they'd be like, oh, I love it. And then I fucking do drag at a community event. And then the all the office ladies in the school music were there. And then they'd see me like, I knew those brows somewhere. Was that you at the drag bingo? And I'm like, yes, 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 Beth. That was me. So by the end of my college career, actually, um, my professors and the faculty there really actually embraced me as a drag artist. Um, and they would invite me to do drag at like events with all the professors. And I actually well, just recently amazing. was like their featured alumni. Um, and the feature that they did of me was being a drag artist and a musician. Um, so that, that really, you know, hit home for me and blew me away because never in a million years would I think that um, this classical academic institution would value or even appreciate my work as a drag artist. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah, incredible. Times are really changing. Um, so that really, it was just, I just had so much anxiety that it was gonna ruin me or people would see me differently. And then I realized after years, that was just all in my head. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think you've answered now because I was gonna ask if you did ever have experience of people judging one or the other because of it or has it all been, has it all worked out quite well? Yeah, I actually had some peers that would look at me differently. Um, you know, I won't say names, but the mobile player would always, and he was actually a cis gay man, a uh, white cis gay man, and would look down upon me and started taking me less seriously as a fellow classmate, as a musician, because I was actively doing drag. People would think that, I, some people would think that, you know, I wasn't being as serious with my music as possible because I was, Splitting, splitting time between this and drag. But the reality is I have gotten more platforms to perform as an entertainer and a performer than he will ever have as a classical musician, purely. Mm -hmm. I have performed on more stages than he will probably perform in his entire life as an oboe player because mm -hmm. I am an intersectional artist as a drag artist and a musician. So I now at this point in my life, I have this hindsight and I can say, proudly and strongly that my drag and my music actively contribute to each other and make each other incredibly strong. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I, and I encourage younger people all the time, like, you can do drag and do anything else. Like, what? What, do you, what else are you going to do? Read a book? Why not get in drag once a week? Like, you, drag can be coupled with any part of your life. There are over 7 billion people on this planet. There is always room for another drag artist. There's always room for a drag artist who's an engineer. Never think that there's not room for you just because you don't see someone else um, necessarily spearheading your specific career path. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I completely agree. I think like one of the main things that drew me to drag initially, um, even before I started doing it, but just as a fan, was that the scope, it does, it's everything. Like even even traditional drag, it's still like it's it's singing, it's dancing, it's acting, it's costume, it's performance art, it's so many different things. And then now the drag is diversifying even more. That like you're bringing in your classical music, other people bring in their realms. That just like you were saying, I really agree that drag can be anything, and that's what's so incredible about it. Totally, and it's like everything I learned in in, in academia as a performer relates to my drag, like. 
facilitating, programming, um, you know, fundraising, grant outreach, all these things. It's like being a conductor, an orchestra conductor and a drag performer have so many things in common. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So it's like, I am able to apply all of my teachings and my five years in academia to my drag artistry. And it just makes me that much stronger um, as a drag performer and as a drag artist. So yeah. what I thought was actually my weakest link turned out to, you know, um, make me even that more confident and I guess powerful as a drag artist. I mean, it, at least it feels that way. I feel like I have more power and control over my craft. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it shows like it, and I think that what you touched on with the makeup too is that you have um, you have like a unique point of view and how you choose to do drag and what you do. And I think um, I can only imagine that must be somewhat influenced by your background in classical music too. That you've gone down, you've take, you've done your own interpretation instead of going kind of the quote unquote normal way of doing things, which is such a huge strength. And it's so interesting because, like, I mean, five even five years ago it was a completely different environment and era than it is now with the drag and how drag was accepted and shown and everything like five years ago drag was still taboo and more counterculture than it is today you know what i mean so yeah. you know, doing drag realizing it's counterculture was also kind of the same thing as being an out trans person in the classical music world like counterculture that culture doesn't exist there's no i'm looking around in the classical music world there are no professional classical musician classical conductors um that are out in trance with the platform it's there's zero i mean literally none cis women are finally just getting few platforms in the classical music world cis women so mm. you want to talk about black musicians you want to talk about trans musicians you want to talk about black trans musicians in the classical music world there's just simply no equity for these people minorities in these spaces so just knowing that and starting my career being like I am going to be an out trans person from this point on. It made my life in the classical music world so much harder. Mm. It was really crazy. Just just to talk about it quickly. No, please do. I wanted to ask you about it. Yeah, totally. So um, I have a video on my Instagram, if you scroll down, where I talk really in depth about my experience. But to summarize it, um, I spent two years applying to graduate programs, different from Penn State, um, for orchestral conducting, probably a total of 13 different institutions. Every single year, when I was forced on the application to identify as part of the gender binary, male or female, every single year when I was forced to identify as a man, I made it to every single final round of the audition, which meant I made it past the video pre-screening. I went to sometimes one, two, three rounds of conducting live orchestras and every single one I made it to the final round and after I made it to the final round I disclosed to the orchestra director the only person who makes the choice and the only person I'd be studying with for those two years I would call them by the way my pronouns are they them and she her and every single time I could see something just click in their head I could see something visibly change in how they looked at me how they thought of me and from that point i was denied everywhere when i would ask for feedback i never got it or the only feedback i got from several different institutions were you just lack experience and they wouldn't elaborate on what that meant um so the other institutions that i was able to identify as a trans person 
I never got a call back. I never made it past the pre-screening. I never made it past that part of the application. At all. At all. And it really broke me for a while because I did that two years in a row and I was like, okay, maybe it's a coincidence. I will go conduct opera at the International Miami Music Festival over the summer. I will work with world-renowned metropolitan opera directors and I'll apply again and the same shit happened. And I went to my director, um, Parado Edelstein, head of orchestra at Penn State University, one of the best allies I know. He's a straight man from Argentina, straight cis man from Argentina. And he sat me down and he gave me one of the best speeches of my life and told me, these institutions were never made for you or your body. And it's, that's just how it is. And it's a shame. They're not, they're, they were not made for trans people. And I think in order for you to be successful, you have to pursue a different path of success outside of um, academia. And you need to go and try to work with an all queer and trans orchestra. Those were his exact words. And he said, well, the, one of the last words he said to me was like, I really, really hope that one day you can conduct a whole orchestra of queer and trans people. And little did I know, three months after that, I would get that opportunity and my life would be like changed forever. Um, and I st still to this day, it blows my mind, but he was totally right. And right now at this point, these institutions, even in academia, are not meant for trans bodies. Um, and it's just- it's Why do you think- Yeah. Why do you think, do you have any insight into why, is it that the gatekeepers are older? Yes. Or they're like, is, is that what it is? Do you think? The gatekeepers are old white cis men. So the people that make these decisions are the head of the orchestra conducting programs. Every single program I auditioned at except one were straight old white men, every single one. Um, and they don't want to work with someone, at least in my mind, that they're going to have to police themselves around. They're going to have to worry about misgendering someone. They don't want to deal with that for two years. And they would most likely rather work with some boring um, average cis straight man. And literally some of the people I would see in these auditions have no social skills, no ability to communicate with an orchestra. They were just like, it's just like, it's just like why, I don't know. It was just, there's just all these other things, but also the fact that the people that fund these academic institutions um, want to see people that look like them in these positions of power. So even you look at the Met and you look at the New York Phil, they're funded by rich white straight people who are homophobic, racist, and transphobic. So it all is where the money comes from. And that will always dictate who gets the equity and who gets um, the position and the position of power. And right now it's still white cis straight people, even in the highest institutions, in academia, outside of academia, that's what it is because those are the people that have accessibility to the resources, accessibility to the education, because trans people don't have accessibility to the education my whole life as an example. and. It's just a lot of really toxic gatekeeping. So it's just a really big misconception because people think music is so accepting and so um, fast forward when it comes to being liberal and blah, 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 but it could it be further from the truth. Yeah, and it, I, I thought about this when I watched your video talking about it from like a year and a half ago is that within creative fields, because there's like a subjectivity to it, it's so hard to prove that this is the reason why. And like you said, like you have this awareness, you know how well you were doing, what your experience was and how they reacted to you before and after you, you came out to them. But like, I think that's one of the things that makes it so hard to pin down. And like you kind of alluded to before, it's the same for white people, for pe I mean, sorry, black people, for other like ethnic minorities of people, whatever it is, is it's so hard to prove 
that this is the reason I didn't get it because they can always say like they did to you like oh you didn't have enough experience or this person was better but meanwhile and maybe they don't even realize consciously that that's why they prefer the other person mm-hmm. some of the time I'm sure some of the time they're very conscious of it but it's like I think that comes into it with all the subconscious biases too is they might even start listening to someone else's music and think that's better but actually it's because their mind is telling them i have a preference for this white cis thing 100 percent. like and that's what really mentally fucks with you and really mentally tore me up because it's like is this in my head am i actually just really bad is this am i just yeah. up but after doing it for two years in a row experiencing the same thing i not one not one ex- like for one more specific example i I worked with this uh, man, Franz Kreger, at University of Te- uh, Texas, Houston, head of the orchestra and opera program, knew him for three years, was in contact with him. The last contact I had with him before I sent in my application was, I look forward to your live audition. What that means is he was already going to accept me past the application and the pre-screening process and invite me to a live audition. What changed was when I applied and sent my initial application, I was able to identify as a trans person and list my pronouns. I never heard back from the institution. I never got a denial. I never got an email, nothing. He never contacted me again, even when I reached out. So that that was the moment where I was like, oh, it's definitely this. I'm not crazy. This is actually what's happening. Um, so it's it's really wild. And I have dreams in the future of also spearheading a separate um, queer non-binary and trans orchestra myself um, in the near future, just because life has taught me that if there's no space, you have to um, actively fight against these institutions and just create your own space. Yeah, like you did with the rural spaces for drag. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. Like, literally, you're not going to give it to me? Well, are you going to... You can't stop me from making it myself. Yeah. So, <laughs> here I come. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's because, yeah, I'm really, that's really inspiring and I'm really in awe of um, how you've been able to do that so far and what you do and how you're going to continue doing that forward. And I see a lot of people writing this on your Instagram too. And like, I'll say it as well, like you're a trailblazer and you're making this happen. And yeah, I just think it's, I like fully support it in every way I can. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. I really, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I just encourage everyone to like, just really fight what you want and what you believe in and what, like ex- express yourself relentlessly. We are here on this planet once. Every single day you wake up is one, not, not guaranteed to you. Every day we have is never guaranteed to us. So every breath you take, you need to take in and live your life and your truth relentlessly as if it's your last day on this planet leave no regrets behind if there is not a space don't i mean don't cry over it don't take on that emotional labor on yourself take it in process it and turn it into something for an opportunity for the future for the future generations in front of you um use it to fuel yourself and motivate yourself we we're on this planet too little to constantly be worried and let down. Fuck these people. We have to make our own space and we have to make the the world that we want, you know? And it's sad, but it's like, we have to do that labor. Um, and then, you know, that opens up those doors to people that won't have to face that type of issue as severely. 
Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. I got like chills hearing you say that. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Thank, no, thank you. Like if I, that's exactly what I would tell like my younger self too. Like there were so many points in my life where I had absolutely no hope um, for the future or even for the, like the very next day. Um, so the fact that I'm even here on this planet now at 23 years old, I mean, I, it's just, it's just a gift. Like I, I honestly like never expected to live past 20, like when I was little, like dead ass. Um, so I just am all for just using your life to make a better future for the people ahead of you. And if you experience something that was difficult, why not spend some time and energy trying to make it less difficult for the people that are coming in the future? Yeah. 100%. Wow, that, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that and sharing your whole like experience and journey today. Like, I feel really inspired, and I'm sure everyone else listening will continue to be as well. And I'm really excited to keep seeing what you can do and what you are doing. Yeah, and yeah. thank you so much. Like, your work is just absolutely incredible. What, what I love about your work is every time I look at it, it like triggers like a visceral reaction in me. Like it like really encapsulates me and that's what I try to reach in my art too. So your work is very inspiring and I adore it so incredibly much. And I'm just so happy to be here and be able to share this this hour with you. This is really, really oh. incredible. Oh, quarantine hug. Yeah. <laughs> we are 6,000 miles away. Yeah, quarantine slash across the Atlantic Ocean hug. <laughs> Yeah, one of these days I'm coming over and I'm kicking down your door. Yeah, please, please. Um, yeah, so is there anything else you'd like to, maybe like where people can follow you or anything else you'd like to promote or say? Yeah, definitely. Um, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Laurel Charleston. Um, a little thing I'm coming out with soon is, so I've been, like, I've been living in New York City completely independent by myself for almost a year now. And I'm going to be punctuating and celebrating this huge milestone in my life with actually like a zine slash lookbook of everything I've been able to, well, uh, not everything, but of uh, major creations I was able to create over the past year. So just keep an eye out for that. I'm really excited. There's a lot of really um, incredible work that I've been really working very hard on that y'all have yet to see that will be part of it. Um, so that's just going to be part of my little legacy. And it's going to be called Volume One Brooklyn Dreams. So. Oh, that's great. I look forward to that. So, yeah, that's it. Thank you. I mean, thank you so much. I, this means the world to me. Yeah, well, th thank you for speaking today. And, like, I've gained so much from listening to you. And, uh, yeah, this is a painting so far. It's, I'm going to work on it, and then I'll post it when it's finished. It's in, like, the ugly stage at the moment. We can... Oh, my God. That's you so far. That's incredible. It's going to change your life. So. I try, oh my god, I, I would die. <laughs> I would yeah, die. Literally. <laughs> I actually did do that with a makeup artist when she like did a piece inspired by mine. So then I painted her makeup of my painting and I, I love anything meta like that. It's so funny. I love that. I love crossing boundaries mm -hmm. and crossing disciplines. I yeah. truly believe collaboration is at the heart of queer art. And I'm always down to collaborate with artists. So yeah. I love it. That's amazing. Well, uh, yeah, it's been great speaking to you. And I look forward to seeing what you do next. And I'll be posting the painting when it's done. And hopefully it shall do you justice. We shall see. <laughs> I cannot wait. Thank you so much for this opportunity and this little kiki. 
I'm so excited. I absolutely cannot wait to see the end result.